Our reading this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, and on a coat, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the coat and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet Nazareth in Galilee. Good morning. Um, my name is John, John Cole. I've been a member of the congregation here for a little over five years, and it's my privilege to be able to share God's word with everyone today. Um, today I'm going to talk about types of power, and we've just heard from Matthew 21, and also I'm going to make some reference to Philippians 2, which um, talks about Jesus' humility and how we are called to be like him. Um, I'd like to have some audience participation today, recognizing we have a family service here today. Firstly, also, uh, having just heard of a Harriet and Oliver um, in, in announcements at the start, I, I also have a Harriet and Oliver, and I visualize when they were that, uh, that young, they're now adults, but there you have it, the, 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 world, of, the world of coincidence there. Um, but what I want to do is talk about visualizing, visualizing the scene, and I want people to, to help me to do this, because what I want people to do is to think about the different characters, because God has a plan here. Jesus arrives at the city. Just imagine Salisbury Cathedral Close. I'm sure many people here go in through the high street entrance, into the close, through the archway there with the walls around. It's magnificent as you enter the cathedral close. We've been studying over recent weeks around uh, Nehemiah and learning about the, the walls of Jerusalem being built. And I've been very privileged. I've had the chance to visit Jerusalem three times. And those walls, compared to the walls of the Salisbury Cathedral, are more magnificent. The gates are bigger. And there's this sense of drama as Jesus is arriving at the city and there's lots of symbology here cloaks were laid out cloaks used to be laid out for kings 
as a sign of victory. They would be laid out by Romans to returning generals from battles that are victorious. And the, another symbology is around the palms. They'd been waved with joy and celebration, perhaps like the banners are in, in worship, as we saw this morning. So you've got victory and celebration all being played out in this, in this symbology. You've got people who are with Jesus, his disciples who've gone and got the donkey and they've arrived with him. You've got people who run on ahead to celebrate. You've got people in the city saying, who is this? They don't even know who he is. You've got temple traders. You've got the blind and the lame in need of healing. You've got the chief priests and the, leaders, uh, the teachers of the law. And you've got the, the pilot, the governor, and the Roman soldiers. So this is where the audience participation takes part. I'd like to have three or four volunteers, first of all, to be the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And I think my house group here need to, need to come and stand here by the pulpit. Please come and stand here. Come and be the chief priests and the teachers of <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, a bit higher, up a couple of steps. Come on, take your position, surely. I'd like to perhaps have some, some younger people who perhaps want to be some, some Roman soldiers. Perhaps come and stand here, down on the hairs. Can I have three or four? Yeah, come and stand down here, please. Anybody else want to be a Roman soldier? Come on, come on, Josh. Come and stand down here. There we go. There we go. And a couple of big soldiers here. One of these big soldiers. One of you can be pilot as well. There you have it. Come and stand here. Okay, fantastic. What about some blind and lame? Who wants to be blind and lame? Go and sit at the back, just out of the way. No one wants to see you. You're kind of a bit of a nuisance. So just go and sit at the back. <laughs> Thank you, Julia. So we've got, we've got these different people. And I'd also now like to have some people to grab some banners and stand along the middle here with your palms. Use these banners as palms. So come on, let's have half a dozen people. Come and stand along the middle. We're here with some banners representing the palms and the cloaks. Come and stand here in the middle. Just hold a banner. Right up the middle of the aisle. Right up the middle of the aisle marking the way for Jesus, triumphantly entering the city. So, so what's going on here in this scene? We've got Jesus entering through the gate, and you've got all these different groups of people. What do all these different people think? And by the way, everybody who is still sitting down, you have got a part as well, because I know who you are. You're the crowds who are saying, who is this? Who is this that's arrived? And the people with banners are declaring to you, this is Jesus. So you're all in different roles. There are people who are fulfilling, fulfilling prophecy here. We've got Jesus arriving on a donkey, the fulfillment of prophecy with his close disciples. We've got people worshipping in victory, in celebration. There's cross-references in, in what we've heard about here as well. Cross-references to... Isaiah and Zechariah around the redemption of Zion, the judgment on enemies, quite kind of militaristic language. But we're all expecting different things. So just imagine who you are now in these roles I've given you. You're a soldier or you're a Pharisee. You're someone who celebrates Jesus. You're someone who's sitting down, doesn't really know who Jesus is, who's just arrived. Who is this person? You're the sick and the lame who need help from Jesus. You've all got your own perspectives some of those perspectives might be 
good. Some of them might be quite self-obsessed. But you've all got different interests. How do you think of Jesus? What do, you, what do you imagine of Jesus as he arrives at this city now? What are you placing upon him? What are your expectations of him? Do you celebrate him? Do you fear him? Do you want to challenge him? Do you want to ask him for help and for healing? You've all got different roles and you've all got different expectations because Jerusalem is it's a place of different interests. It is a place of a power struggle. All these different groups of people, you've all got to struggle against each other because you all want different things from each other and you're all looking at Jesus wanting different things from him. Is that so different to the world that we live in today where we celebrate Jesus, we think we know what he's going to bring to us? There are people who will challenge Jesus and his ways. We know that there's people who want to... I haven't actually done the temple traders as well. I need some... Give me three or four people who want to be temple traders. Come and stand over here. Three or four people, come and be temple traders. You're going to get your tables turned over in a few days' time by Jesus. There you go. And you're trying to exploit opportunities. You've got people exploiting. And Jesus is going to come and turn your tables. Jesus is going to challenge you here. And you're going to challenge him back. You are going to take Jesus to the cross. And he's going to submit to you because he knows it's part of God's plan. And you're going to be really surprised and disappointed because you thought he was coming here to, to free you to overcome all the evil and the sin of the world, and he was going to be victorious. And you thought he was going to heal you, and the people around here thought he was going to be clearer. You're waiting for the Messiah, who's going to be a king. He's not going to be somebody arriving on a donkey, surely. The humility, the humiliation of arriving on a donkey, but it is fulfillment of prophecy. Okay, thank you. Can you please now just go and sit back down, and I'll try and bring that into some sense. Thank you for participating. So is, is, the world, is the world today really any different to the Jerusalem that we just talked about? If you think about the world today, we're jostling, we're busy, we're self-obsessed. Some people know Jesus, some people don't know who he is. Some people are using coercive, legalistic power to control society. Some people are occupying armies. Some people are sick and lame. They can't feed themselves. They can't access health. We live in a broken world, which I don't think is that different to the Jerusalem that we heard described to us there. In Galatians 5, we hear about this power struggle. It's a conflict between the sin and the spirit, where the sin exposes the spirit, the spirit exposes the sin. In John 8, we hear about how we are slaves to sin. Sin has a power over us. So the scenario, that scene that you just imagined and visualized, has so many parallels to the world today. So what do we do? We all have expectations on God too. We all have different expectations. How do we think God is going to bring his power to the world? This broken world, we've got all sorts of things that I really struggle with. How can it be that Ukraine is being persecuted so terribly by an occupying power? How can it be that people are trafficked from the most vulnerable places in the world and left 
in some cases, to die. How can it be that people cannot even put food on their table when there is so much food for all? How is God going to intervene? How do I think God is going to intervene? How is he going to bring judgment? What do I expect for him to do to unpackage and to release those sins of the world? Well, I think often in my life, I have thought of God's almost like in a box, and I've thought, God, if you can just do this. My prayer is often not asking for God to intervene in his way, but God to intervene in my way. How do I want God to intervene according to how I think he needs to fulfill his plan? It's crazy, isn't it? How could I be so arrogant to think that he should fulfill the plan that I think he has? But I confess that there have been times when I have thought like that. My expectation of him has been small. And I haven't always subordinated myself to his bigger plan, even if I don't understand it. But this is what Jesus is doing. He's subordinating himself. And he's giving signs of this. He's telling people this. Back in chapter 16 of Matthew, a few pages before what we heard from this morning, Jesus predicts and warns of his suffering, his death, his resurrection. He's fulfilling prophecy by arriving on a donkey. He keeps teaching and healing and rebuking all those different categories of people I've described. In Philippians 2, which I said I would refer to, it talks where Jesus, having been made in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient. So he shows us the way. That is what he does. It does not meet the expectations. We often talk about expectation management. Jesus is trying to do expectation management, but people still don't see it. And I think that's as true today as it was on that original Palm Sunday. Are we alert to the signs of Jesus? Do we surrender to his truth? We just sang it. We surrender to your truth. There's four types of power that are used uh, in, in the Hebrew language. Koa for ability, exousia, authority, dunamis, miraculous, and kratos, reigning. These were the, the types of power that people were expecting. But actually, I believe that God gives his power to us in four different ways. He gives us his power through his word. Jesus speaks his word. In 2 Timothy 3, it says that scripture is for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training God's word empowers us there is power in God's word secondly Jesus blood just five days later five days later from this scene is one ultimate sacrifice to bring power over that sin forever this is what brings the judgment and the destruction it's not a militaristic style. This is humility through obedience. In Romans 3, it talks of Jesus' sacrifice being a sacrifice of atonement through his blood. This morning, we had a communion service and we remembered, this is my blood shed for you, which was another attempt by Jesus to give those signs of what was yet to come just four days after this Palm Sunday, he is still telling his disciples of what to expect. And they don't all even recognize the signs. 
Thirdly, there is God's Spirit. As Jesus is resurrected, he breathes his Spirit on his disciples. Later in Acts, we hear of the Acts of Pentecost, where the Spirit comes down on the church and goes out to all people of all nations and tribes and tongues. I love it at the end of a church service when Mary or Jean pray over us and put a hand up and say, the power of the Holy Spirit be upon you. And I put my hands out and receive that power of the Holy Spirit, which is given freely to me. And then fourthly, God's power is available through prayer. And Jesus models this in the Garden of Gethsemane in a few days on. He prays to his Father. And we know from Hebrews 7 that Jesus lives to intercede for us. I love the, um, the description that I've heard before, which is that when we go into prayer, it's like joining a prayer meeting that's already happening. Jesus is there interceding for us now. So in conclusion, what, what are our expectations of God's power in this broken world? Do we put God in a box? Do we place our expectations upon him? Or do we respond by recognizing that he has a bigger plan? And even if we don't understand it, we subordinate ourselves. We are showing the humility. Jesus, who showed the ultimate humility, not my will, but yours. Are we doing that? Because our attitude should be the same. Philippians 2 verse 5. So where are your places of conflict? Where do you see conflict? And what do you place on your expectations of God to bring power to that situation? I believe that there is good news that we can all take faith that God's power, through his word, through the blood of Jesus, through his spirit, and through prayer, with that power, it is available to all. And if we show humility, God's plans and purposes are fulfilled. Amen.